0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Just a little preempt here. What mothers learn from their children? Now, this is not from my children. Some of it might be, maybe not. But these are perspectives of mothers, okay? A three-year-old... A three-year-old's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. When you hear a toilet flush and the words, oh no, it's already too late. Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. How does a child get a hold of the microwave? That's for another topic. Superglue is forever. Your local def- fire department is, has a 15-minute response time. I'm thankful I haven't had to figure that one out. But I, she shall remain nameless. We were on a first-name basis in the ER every 10 days for ear infections when she was little. Certain Lego blocks can pass through the digestive system of a (laughs) four-year-old. I'm sure some of you have experienced that, and hopefully not. (laughs) The title of what I want to share this morning is, Who Can Change the Unchangeable? It's funny, a few weeks ago, um, a pastor had asked me, what is your subject title for this morning? And I'm going... It's a lengthy one, and I can't remember the the whole thing. And and he said, just say Jesus. Isn't that what um, Pastor, uh, when we were away on holidays, he says, if you can't think of what to say, just say Jesus. And so, who can change the unchangeable? Just say Jesus. And it's true. In conclusion, I know the conclusion is supposed to be at the end of the message. Aren't you thankful that I'm just your pastor's wife and not your dentist's wife or your surgeon's wife? (laughs) Here is God's conclusion. God can change the unchangeable regardless. It makes no difference because it's an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. I wonder how many different kinds of unchangeable things are in this auditorium this morning. Listen. It does not matter how many situations there are because there is nothing, no category, no case, no extreme that is outside the ability of him to work. Remember, his timeline is perfect. And notice, it's his time and not our time. One of the things in the the 40 verses to ignite your faith that has impacted me is many times we think that we are in the we're in the center and God is on the peripheral and, and we just we pull him into our center when we need him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the other way around. He is in the center. We are on the peripheral. And when and when things are awry, we ask him his help and he pulls us into his center. It's not about us. It's not about our healing. It's not about our relationship restoration. It's not about our answered prayer. It's all about him. And I'm hoping this morning that I can convey that to you because God has a plan. You're praying for a healing. Have you ever thought, so the, the, what we had talked about is, is it's, not, it's not our timing. It's God's timing. If you're not healed, it's not because God has turned his face from you. It's not because he hasn't answered his prayer. Remember Psalms 138 verse 3, the answer is on its way. But it's God's timing. And sometimes the faith that we need is in that timing and trust him. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we can bank on that. It's all about him. And when that suddenly happens, when that healing comes, when that relationship is restored, We think, God answered my prayer. But the one thing I learned from Psalms 138 is he's already answered it. It's on the way. It just has to catch up with us. The The scripture that I'm using this morning is 2 Kings 4, verses 8 to 37. That's a lot of verses. So we're going to go through. It's going to be up before you. We're not going to read it in its entirety at the beginning, but we're going to touch on it as we go through. This is Elisha and the the woman from Shunem. She is is going to set an example for us this morning. First of all, I want to... Ask the question, what is so great about this woman? Verse 8 talks about One day Elisha went to the town of, the Sh- of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She fed Elisha a meal on more than one occasion. There's no indication that she knew that he was a man of God. But she made a practice of this. Verse 10, let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with bed, a chair, a table, a lamp, and then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. She's a generous woman. She talks to her husband about building a room and furnishing it for him to stay when he's in town, I didn't know this story, but in our when we li- when we lived in a little community of, of Everett, we had this house and we had a room downstairs. We called it the bunker. And in our bunker, uh, it wasn't finished when we moved in the house, but we finished this. We, we had a gentleman in the church that helped us finish this room. We had a king size bed. I think we had two single beds, and then we had a like a sectional. Um, like a little sitting room. And there was still room. We had your workout at the other end. So this room, it truly was a big room. But in that room, we had people that came to our church, and rather than putting them in a hotel or whatever, they stayed in our, our bunker. And uh, it, was, it was a time of rest for them. It was I, I remember on a number of occasions, it was like, wow, this is for us? And uh, out of that, even out of that room, came ministry to our family and to our church. And so when you make room for God, whether physically or in your heart, God honors that. And he certainly honored, honored us in that. So this woman was generous. She is a woman God wanted to bless. Verse 13, Elisha and Gehazi... Tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? She exceeded the prophet Elisha's expectations, and he looked for a way to bless her. You can't outgive God. She's a giver, not a taker. Verse 13, can we put a good word in for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Elisha would speak on her behalf to the king or to the commander of the army, and she replies, no. She could have taken advantage of this situation. She could have, wow, I wonder what the king could do for me. I could have the protection of the army. But she says, no, I am well taken care of. And so that's another part of her personality that she is, she is contented. She accepts her childlessness. Now, this is in the story. She, in, in the Bible story, she does not have a child. And so later, Elisha asks Gehazi, what can we do for her? So he's still looking for a way to bless her. Gehazi replies, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. We don't know how many years have passed for this longing. Other than her husband is old, I'm so thankful that the Lord is gracious to her and doesn't call her old. Now, there are stories that he does, but in this one, he doesn't call her old, puts the blame on her husband. With her last drop of hope to be a mother gone, does the Lord through the servant through Elisha's servant Gehazi, see her secret wish, which is suppressed in obedience to his will. In other words, she has found meaning in, in life. In other ways, by helping others, she hasn't. She hasn't shut down. I, I, I don't have what I want, so I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm unusable. I don't have what I want, so I'm just going to shut down in life. And she doesn't. She pours her life out by helping others. My second point is her faith was tested. How many here have had their faith tested? And the test is, 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 is for us. It's, it's, not, it's not God going, well, I wonder what they've learned. It's for us. How's your, how's your faith test? How's it doing? There's a promise of new life. In verse 16, it says, The next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. Just like Sarah and a Hannah, against all odds, she becomes pregnant and bears a son. Roller coaster in the promise. And sometimes that happens to us, too. In verse 16, no, my Lord, she cried, O man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Like she knows her biological clock is, is, has run its course. This is, this is, not, this is not funny. Don't, don't play with my emotions. There's a hesitancy in her mind of getting her hopes up again. It's taken so many years for her to become at peace with her situation. At first, she objects to the idea. No, don't give me false hope. And then she receives her child. So she receives the son, and then the roller coaster is she receives a son, and then he becomes ill. And the father says to the servant... Take him to his mother. So what is a mother? A woman who loves unconditionally from birth? The one who puts her kids before herself or you can always count on? The one who expresses the character of maternal affection and protection? Just telling her your problems makes you feel better. Notice, I didn't define a mother as the woman who biologically bears a child because many who do that aren't mothers to their kids and vice versa. Many who never bore a child are mothers to those they nurture and love. The promise dies in verse 20. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. It can happen in an instant for the brightest day to suddenly become clouded with disaster, disease, diagnosis, or a decision. Her boy was full of life that morning, and at noon, a servant brings her nearly cold and lifeless promise home. Then he dies in her arms. What do you do when the status of your promise changes? Did God change his mind? Did you do something wrong? What did this woman do? She didn't make any funeral arrangements. Verse 21, she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. Back then, she had God's prophet. But today, we have Jesus. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ and you can say it with me, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Once again, I want to reiterate, God has not changed. If the answer is delayed, then that's what it is. It's just a delayed answer. It's on the way. He, you, you can take him to the bank. You can trust him with whatever situation that you are dealing with right now. God is in control. I remember one time when my son was born, and my son was born with a cleft lip and palate. It was a beautiful day, I can still see it. I was with, a, with some friends, I was sitting on the rock by the water, and somehow this, the subject came up of answered prayer. And the person leaned over to me and said, do you think God turned his face from you when your son was born? Not a chance. Not a chance. He might have been born with a cleft lip and palate, but trust me, God has answered prayer all the way through. They told me that that kid wouldn't sing, that he would talk with a nasal... Like There were so, so many negatives that were, were told to us, but that's not true, and God answered prayer through that. Was it instantaneous? No. Was God faithful? Yes. Her faith in a possible resurrection. Chapter 22, or uh, verse 22. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Like a bulldog, this mother maintains her faith and confession in spite of the fact that her child was dead. In the scripture verse, she does not tell her husband that her child passed away. You think that that would be the first thing on your mind, wouldn't it? Not her. She needs to get to the man of God. She guarded her lips. She ran out, uh, uh, verse 26, ran out to meet her and ask her. So this is, this is Elisha. Telling his prophet, or his, um, uh, his um, assistant, run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with your husband and your child? And she answers, yes, everything is fine. When asked by Elisha and his servant, is everything okay? By faith, she says yes. She undoubtedly believed. Verse 24 and 25. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God among Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance, and he said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. If the promise had been a miracle... The same God who had given her one miracle could give her two miracles, couldn't he? Maybe she recalls the raising of the widow's son of Zarephath. This woman, this widow, gives the prophet Elijah her last meal. Remember, she only had enough flour and oil for her last meal, then her and her son were going to die of starvation. The scripture says, and then it came to pass, her son became sick and he died. And this story is found in 1 Kings 17. The same God who had given this woman one miracle gave her two miracles. Elijah had prayed to God and the child Was revived. I'm sure this this was on this the the Shunem woman's mind. How many things? How many times do we wonder? You know, we we get our miracle, and then we need another one, and another one, and we go, "Well, well, well, God gave me one. Will He give me another one? Will He answer another prayer? Another prayer? God is faithful. My third point, her boy is restored. The woman's intercession. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. The contemporary English version says it this way. She went over and grabbed Elisha by the feet. So it's just not a caught, you know, in, romantically, you know, she falls and grabs him. She's in desperation. Her child is dead. She grabs him by the feet. And of course, his servant, the, the prophet's servant, responds. And, he, and Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is deeply troubled but the lord has not told me what it is then she said did i ask you for a son my lord and didn't i say don't deceive me and give me false hope elisha and is pro- elisha and uh, is at a pastors at a prophet's prophet's conference on mount carmel she knows where he is and she's she's going to get him. She falls at his feet. And she grabs a hold of them in her distress. She intercedes. And I found this interesting as I was going over my message this morning. I never saw this until this morning. This is her intercession. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Don't tell don't don't didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes, or don't give me false hopes. Elisha reads between the lines. She doesn't say her son is dead. Something is wrong with her son. She doesn't say he's dead unless there is a conversation that we're a priv- that we're privy to. What is said in the scriptures, it does not say her son is dead. She didn't move. Verse 30. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha turned, returned to her home with her. You see, Elisha instructs Gehazi, take my walking stick and go and lay it on the boy. So, in other words, he's saying, I'm I'm sending you. And the woman picks up on it and she's, no, 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 no. I don't want your servant. I want you. She only trusted the man of God. And we must look to Jesus, too. We need to... Keep our focus on him. Elisha's resurrection of the child. Verse 35. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once. Then he stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the woman he said, and when, she, and when she came in, Elisha said, Here, take your son. She fell at his feet. She does that a lot in this story. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. The prophet returns to her home, and her son finds... The prophet returns to her home... With her and finds that the child is dead. I don't know if they had a discussion, but this is this is when he finds out the child is dead. He goes through the various steps to raise the child. Two times Elisha stretches himself out on the child, as if to trans as if to transmit his life into the life of the child. The child sneezes seven times. Ancient tradition says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and the evidence of life was sneezing. Some of you might have a lot of life in you if you sneeze a lot. (laughs) Something to think about the next time you sneeze. Thank you, Lord, for my life. Thank you, Lord, for my breath, your breath and my lungs. Elisha gives the son to his mother a second time. Jesus, our promise, was given to his earthly mother twice. First, at his birth. Second, at his resurrection. But there's more. The Son of Man is coming again. Our future hope. If you're feeling hopeless... The fact that Jesus is coming again, there is still hope. So hang on to Jesus, our future hope. In conclusion, and I mean it this time. Moms, you might not have lost your child or your children physically, but may have lost them through drugs. Lost them to unforgiveness or bitterness. Lost them because of distance or separation. Lost them because of unbelief and worldliness. Like the Shunem woman, will you have bulldog faith for the restoration of your child, your health, your marriage, your finances? Will you stand between the devil and your child, your disaster, your disease, your diagnosis, the decision? Will you hold on to? No, no. Will you grab the feet of Jesus that he would overshadow your situation, your child, you, to turn things around? I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back at this time. Two things I want to share with you about turning things around. One of the miracles in my family is my daughter. Those of you that know her, two years ago, she walked with a cane. She was so bent over, she looked like a 90-year-old woman. She had a, um, what was it, a disc? What was it, a herniated? Herniated disc, and it was so severe that it, it, it protruded into the spine. It wasn't going the other way. It went into the spine. She was in pain 24-7, no reprieve for what, nine months? Nine months. She, um, she would. She's she not a crier. Not normally, but she would call me on the phone just to talk, just to get through the pain. She went to the specialist, and, and it, took, it took almost a year to get into a specialist. And when she saw the specialist, it was in February of, of two years ago, and she said to this specialist, when can I, you know, I, when can I expect to have surgery she she also went to a pain clinic and was having needles in her back, just so that she could function. The pain was so bad. It was. She said it was like they. Um, she had acid poured on her leg. The pain was incredible. We, we have no idea what she went through. I have nothing to compare it to. Not even childbirth, because you have a reprieve. But she she never had a reprieve. It didn't come and go. It came and it stayed. And the church here prayed for her, and she was, that was in February, and she, she asked this, the specialist, do you think by the end of, of April I, I could have my surgery? And it wasn't because of the, the issues of the pain. She's thinking ahead, and I've got holiday time, and I've, you know, she's, she's a planner, and it's, I, I need to work this into my schedule. And uh, the surgeon said, oh, you're going to wait a bit longer than that. He says, can I put you on a cancellation list? She said, sure. Like, this is the first time I've met you, because basically he was saying, I'm not going to be the one to operate on you. Are you okay if I put you on the first available surgeon's list for this type of surgery? And uh, anyway, she said, sure. Two weeks later, she's driving home from day surgery. God had answered prayer. Now, the surgeon also told her two things. You could either have no change in the pain in your body, or you'll notice a difference on your way home. And I'm, I'm glad to say it was the latter, that on the way home, the pain, she felt a difference in her body. That, that was a miracle. that God turned that situation around. It, it's very hard to see your child suffer like that. And the second is the miracle of our son and, and our in and his family going to Florida. And I, I've told this so many times. And them leaving and thinking that we're not going to have a godly influence on them or our granddaughter. And God turned that around. He brought them into the fellowship of a beautiful church down there that has loved on them. Restored them into ministry ministry. Um, Erica is a, a, a worship director. Jonas, hadn't for years, hadn't played keyboard, and now he's doing that. And our granddaughter and this family, or this church family, just has come around them and has loved them. God turned that situation around. Only, only God could have done that. Only God could have restored. In that time, Carissa couldn't play in the band. Her focus was, was, God, I need you. I need you through this. And that was the one thing that touched me about her situation. She didn't blame God. She said, the realization of my relationship with God was shallow. And he took her deeper than, than she'd ever been in her life. We don't understand what we go through. We don't, what, what is, it's not about us. What she went through, I wouldn't wish on anybody. But the relationship with God that comes out of it is paramount to our relationship with God. I'm so thankful for that. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.